Krishma, welcome to the podcast. If you could start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Hi. Hi, Be- Hi Nelly. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I am Karishma. I'm a fashion technologist and a found- and the founder of South Atlantic Circular Fashion based in London. Um, what we do is we create fashion that restores the planet for you without the hassle of owning it. So we make clothes which are designed in a way that they are recyclable uh, using positively impacting materials. And then you as a customer decide if you want to buy them or rent them. And then when the, once the product reaches the end of life, we take them back for responsible recycling and give you very good incentives to do that. Yeah, I mean, a great a great business and yeah. obviously at the forefront of sort of sustainability and fashion, which is mm-hmm. a huge hot topic. But mm-hmm. I maybe, maybe if we step back a little bit mm-hmm. in your journey to that, um, mm-hmm. this new, new adventure you're going on, mm-hmm. how did you get there? Um, it's It has been a very nice, long journey with its own ups and downs. Um, so I started off very early that maybe at 15 or 16, I had decided that I want to be in fashion. I like the feeling of empowerment that comes through it. You wear something nice and you look good and someone compliments you. And I was like, oh, I want to do this, which makes which brings a smile to everyone's face. Initially, I thought I wanted to go to like journalism and fashion, go to work. And it's like standard dreams that you have in the <laughs> yeah. beginning. And I was, I was, I'm a, I'm from a very small city, Agra, in India. And back in, back in early 2000s, we didn't have big brands. I was like, oh, cool. So fashion is a good option. I'll do this. So I didn't get into the fashion communications course. And then I was also accepted in the fashion technology course, which was looking over the manufacturing and the supply chain, textile technology. Uh, how do you optimize your manufacturing unit and what kind of uh, setup you need to have. So that was like, oh, cool, I'll do it for, for a year, maybe drop off, go back to communications. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fashion communication, like, I don't want to miss out on a year, year worth of study. So I did that in six months time or something that nerd side of me kicked in was like, oh, I'm in between machines. Oh, I'm looking at different chemistry things. Oh, I am looking at completely new world, which I'll not have the access to. So I dropped that dream of uh, journalism and I thought, oh, I'll pursue fashion technology and see how that goes. And then um, I started working in industries, in big manufacturers. I worked in India. I worked in Bangladesh. I worked in Middle East quite a few different countries within India I worked from for a small designer to big factories which have like 50 units within themselves learned the back end of fashion how things work not maybe it won't be called fashion it would be more called um garment manufacturing (laughs) in not so sexy term (laughs) and uh, so yeah and then I kind of realized at one point I also knew that I wanted to have something of my own wanted to have a business I come from a family of entrepreneurs myself. My dad had a recycling business back in India. And I thought, oh, maybe if I could do textile recycling or something. That was like always on the back of the mind. Then I thought, okay, cool. So I want to do my master's. Get over with it. <laughs> and then do, do my, then get start the business. So I came, moved to London. London College, College of Fashion was on top. There was they were the only one offering fashion entrepreneurship course. So it's like, oh, naturally I would move towards that. I did that. I was having a very interesting conversation with someone telling them what our family business was. And they told me, Oh, so it's in circular economy. I was like, What's that? 
It's my fault. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, oh, that's recycling. So I kind of like, oh, okay. So I went back home, opened up Circular Economy, saw that like there's a system of doing things better, which does good for the planet. And I was also seeing the impact of fashion, which which was on... Um, in London, we are very lucky. In the Western part of the world, we are very lucky. We don't see that devastating effects of pollution that is created by this industry. It is the second most polluting industry. 10% of global carbon emissions, about 1.2 billion tons of carbon. And uh, along with it, a lot of environmental damage, water, air, everything. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that by living in the eastern side of the world, which we don't see over here. I said, oh, let's... Let's challenge it. Let's do it differently. So that's how I came up with this idea of doing Salatland. Very long story. No, I mean, it's very comprehensive. I guess we'll start from the beginning, back mm-hmm. in India. I mean, in terms of, you mm-hmm. say you developed this early mm-hmm. um, sort of route of going into fashion. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. for a lot of people mm-hmm. like us, we're not too sure about... Yeah. We've got many different interests, and I'm sure you did too, but mm. how did you know, like to sort of refine yourself so early and do you do you feel like that was a good decision in hindsight so i think that was a lot of influence from our from my friends in my school plus we are also sort of a rebellion generation within india so um our parents are like oh you're going to be a doctor or engineer and we are like nope we'll do our own thing yeah. <laughs> and how do you Annoy your parents in the best possible way. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to study fashion. But I remember the fight I had with my dad for like, I think it went on for solid one month that I am going to do fashion. I'm going to study for it. So, you, you know, when you work hard to do that, when you are fighting for something that you want, you kind of become more attached to it. So that's how I refined it. Sort of rebellion sort of what it made me feel, how I felt about it. Nobody would talk about different topics. I used to read magazines and stuff. So I was like, yeah, that's how. And then I had a friend group in which all three of us were very interested in fashion and we thought, oh, we're all going to apply for FIT New York together and we're just going to go out after our school. Uh, What happened was the friend group fell out, but one of them did London College of... Oh, sorry, Central St. Martin's one of India's top designer. Another one also did uh, the same undergrad university as me, did not pursue master's. She's also India's top lingerie designer as well, one of the biggest <laughs> entrepreneurs wow. coming up. Then <laughs> this is third one is me. I hope it work out, works out. <laughs> yeah. Wow, wow. Yeah, and <clears throat> what, what I'm fascinated about, you did fashion and mm-hmm. you, you went to university in mm-hmm. India. And while you were completing your, uh, your studies, Seems mm-hmm. like you did a lot of work experience as well, you know, mm-hmm. two summer internships, you know, project research. Mm-hmm. Uh, and why did you think at such an early age it was really important to to work along your studies and develop that passion for it? Um, to be honest, the education system of India is very different from education system over here. These you, these internships were very crucial for us. If we did not do them, we would have been kicked out of our courses as well. So they were mandatory, compulsory, mm-hmm. and. Um, so, also it gave us, gave me or other un- students within that cohort to go around India as well. So, my first, so I am from Agra. I did my, which is the central part of India. Then I did my bachelor's in Calcutta, which is eastern part of India. 
I did one internship in Wapi, which is a village in India. Then I did another internship in Delhi, which is next to Agra, but a very different lifestyle. So you kind of absorb things very differently. You see industries which are run by... India is like a mix of different cultures, very diverse. So you see how different cultures work together as well. So that built multiple soft skills within myself and other students as well, not just myself became very dynamic in how we approached problems, how we approached people, understanding, more understanding. So I think it should be part of the curriculum as well. Mm. Overall, I don't know the education system over here very well because I only did my master's and it didn't have any internship mm. attached with it, but I was working a lot uh, along with my master's. That kind of kicked in yeah. as well. And it's, it's something that a lot of people... Mm. In the UK, they try and mm. a lot of people try and get an internship um, mm. during the summer and stuff. So yeah, I guess mm. it is, it's not maybe mandatory, but it's more mm. like a cultural thing. And, yeah. But it does vary, like between yeah. people. To be fair, no, our university. So in India, our universities help us a lot. Not just universities, our seniors. So if I'm in first year, I go to my second year senior to help me get that internship in first year as well. So there's like a community effect as well, which kind of helps everyone. So if you're looking for jobs, it's much easier to... I'll just ask everyone third year, fourth year, second year, like, hey, can I get internship in this company? I would love to work in this. So we kind of prepared to work from year one. And it just makes the entire route very easy. Yeah, that's really good having like a community that's mm. very self-supporting as well. Yeah, you need to build a community around yourself and universities should be helping you do this as well. Yeah. Mm. yeah and when you moved over to London, mm. it was for an MBA, with the, the prospect of starting a business, you you said it earlier on the podcast that mm-hmm. you always felt you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Mm. But I'm, I'm interested in, those are two big, big steps at the same mm. time. Moving country from two mm-hmm. completely different cultures and also just maybe not going down the traditional career route, mm-hmm. you know, starting your own business. What was it com- that compelled you to do those both at the same time at such a young age? And mm-hmm. how's it been for you? So, also there's a big part that I come from a family of entrepreneurs as yeah. well. I'm the third generation entrepreneur within the family. So my grandfather, my father, my brother is now managing the family business and I'm like, okay, I'm exploring different routes within the avenue. So I knew that I wanted to do a business. And... Uh, a big role of it is about being a woman as well, where you're like, oh, if I work for someone else, if I get pregnant, I'm going to get kicked out. Mm. No matter which part of the world you're in, it, this is how we are treated as a woman. So I was like, okay, cool. If I am the owner of the business, I am kind of securing my life. So I was like, okay, cool. So if I have to do this, if I have to progress in my life, I want to explore more of the world before I do anything else like job or marriage or whatever that life progression, because obviously your life and career progresses parallelly. Cool. So London, I came because as I, I that was the only one that did the, offer the course. Uh, I did not know anything about London. Only thing I knew about London was the telephone booths. <laughs> They don't even hear anymore. I think they've taken them all. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, there are nice fancy red telephone booths. That that's all I knew. Yeah, not that fancy. A lot of them are broken. And yeah. <laughs> when I, when I came down and I saw a shard, I was like, what the? Where, where is this building? What is this? I've never seen this before. Yeah. So I had zero clues. So I was 
about 24, 23, when I came down to do my entrepreneurship course, I did not think that I will be an entrepreneur very soon. I thought, oh, I might join someone else's business as a co-founder, might take a leadership role somewhere, eventually move back to India, do something else or blah, blah, blah. I was keeping all the routes open. And then obviously on this journey, you realize, oh, what's important for you right now? And then I kind of got very obsessed with the problem of waste, mm. the environmental impact that is happening. It kind of grew on me. I I worked in different sectors as well. I tried working for skincare. I didn't like it. Fashion clothes were my favorite. Realized that after doing it. Did try a business, try to start a business with my best friend. My first demand was, if it's not sustainable, I'm not putting my foot in it because that's something that I want to do. So I think it was more of a journey progression or a, like life progression that I took it. And there are multiple multiple factors to it. And um, yeah, didn't know that I'll do it this early, but here I am. <laughs> no, it's, Be it's... prepared for an unexpected <laughs> Yeah, well, it seems like you have a genuine passion for like mm. for waste, which kind of seems weird to say. To say yeah. But, um, so yeah, where, where did that develop? Like, and and what is sort of the motivation behind that passion? I think I have a positive association with waste because my dad did a recycling yeah, business, course, yeah. so grew up looking at waste all the time. <laughs> yeah. and it was like it converting into cash. I was like, oh, that's good. It can do something. So mm. I have a very positive association with the waste. I do have a negative association with the pollution and the environmental impact around it. So if we start managing the waste, which it is creating, the pollution it is creating, I worked with certified factories and I saw how good their practices were and you're still making the same product. Why don't do it better? So had the skills, yeah, and I had guess... the passion for it, had the vision for it as well. You you had obviously the passion mm. and the willingness, and then you even came up with the idea. Mm-hmm. So now you've got this business you've mm-hmm. started. I'll ask a bit more about you know, the actual mm-hmm. experience of being an entrepreneur. So, mm-hmm. as a woman in entrepreneurship, mm-hmm. how have you found maybe competing for investment or just generally like getting your name out there? And also, it seems that you've competed in some competitions. I saw a, a Dream Tech UK contest mm-hmm. by Dell. How have you found competing, and how has that developed you as an entrepreneur? So. First, as a women entrepreneur or being in this field and my gender, my ethnicity, me being an outsider, everything, it plays a very interesting role because there's a thing that how people perceive you as well. And then there's a thing of biases that people have. With time, I have have learned a lot more about people and myself them running a business because that's a very important part of it um in terms of competing with competing in this space or getting into competitions or anything i think we have to be very open minded there are loads of opportunities out there you have to grab them irrespective of your gender yes there are places where if you see women are underfunded right underfunded and over-mentored. Everyone will come down to give advice and et cetera, et cetera. If you look at the stats, it's like uh, only 1% of the VC funding goes to female entrepreneurs, whereas you have 33% female founders, female entrepreneurs in the UK. So like, how is it even possible? Like, how is it even possible if 33% of the gender difference, like the split between entrepreneurship is women and they're only... 
getting 1% of the funding. So, you know, it's very difficult to crack into that circle as well. So, I'd say um, it is difficult. It is very difficult. And there are opportunities out there. And you have to kind of keep trying, keep trying. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess on the competition as well. Mm. I mean, on the competitions as well, this, these are great places, right? You know, you why I participate in the competitions is because they give you visibility, right? You get more opportunity to network and break into that circle with people you wouldn't necessarily uh, get to connect with because that's also a very important part for your business. That visibility is the most expensive thing as a business that you're running. Uh, you can buy the visibility through Instagram ads, Snapchat ads, or whatever, TikTok ads. But if you get organic visibility and someone is vouching for you, say UK, Dell UK, or Virgin Startup, that that vouches for us a lot. So if they are vouching for you, they add an extra layer of trust and credibility in front of people who could be your customers or investors or your advisors or your teammate. So I'd say, yeah, they have they have bought a lot in and I'd recommend anyone who is listening to this uh, to apply for as many as you can. You might get some foot, some of the doors open for you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's mm. great advice. I mean, if we sort of go back a little bit mm-hmm. into what you just said about other people's biases of, of mm-hmm. various of your characteristics, mm-hmm. I mean, and how your mm-hmm. view of yourself has changed in mm. entrepreneurship and, yeah. and this journey that you're going on. Mm-hmm. How do you that how do you just like let mm-hmm. or not let other people's biases affect mm-hmm. how this like views yourself because obviously that's a bit of a challenge mm-hmm. um or at least it seems as such. Mm-hmm. So if you go look at the studies of biases that people have uh female entrepreneurs are looked upon as risks and threat to their capital to investors and male entrepreneurs are looked as opportunity so how investors or how people frame question normal people as well I've seen in LinkedIn comments of different people how if a female entrepreneur is presenting her business in even in a comment how other people react to them and if a male entrepreneur is um pitching their business in a comment in LinkedIn comment LinkedIn comments and people react to them right uh, an example of this would be how will you acquire customers right mm-hmm. if this is a good question and how will you hold on to them right they're asking about go to market and etc the investors mm-hmm. are asking so this is a question for female entrepreneurs whereas uh, a female a male entrepreneur is going to be asked question like so what's your go to market strategy and where are the opportunities the first question is, how do you plan to acquire customer and how will you hold on to them is kind of obviously looking at you as a threat, as a risk, right? That it's going to be difficult for this person to acquire customers and it's going to be more expensive for them to hold on to their customers as well. So it's critical. It's a critical. Yeah. It's a prevention question. Yeah. It's it's a very preventive question to female founders. And these are like, you'll see them everywhere. And then if you ask that male founder, it's the same question in a different position like, What's your go-to-market strategy and what are the opportunities? Mm. Right? Now you're going to be like, oh, I'm going to have hired 10 people. I'm going to pay them this much. I'm going to put our name in front of these, these, these partnerships. And this is what we're expecting. And this is how we're going to grow this business. So, you know, the questions that are put forward to you as well will also change the answer. Yeah. Even if you want to know the same thing. So 
those are the things that I've learned that happens. And yeah, we're very far. We're very far from um, training the investors or training people to see how do you get rid of that unconscious bias of looking at women as a risk to actually like look at them equally. I want to ask mm. about maybe your, your team within your business. So, mm-hmm. I mean, who who's part of it? What do you look for in your team? And mm-hmm. why is it important for you to, to build a team? So team is the... So I'll start with the quote first, right? This is the most important thing, right? Uh, you can start anything uh, on your own. And if you feel you're self-sufficient, you, you can do everything on your own. You're going to get a burnout. You are going to be very biased in your approach as well how do you approach the business and you're better off in a cave than you can survive in a cave as well you don't belong in a human civil society right so there's a really nice book which i read on that whereas if you have a team you get variety of opportunities variety of opinions that that gives you like more opportunities to grow it increases your working hours as well so these are very tactical answers for that um you do need three people in your team when you start off one is the hustler one is the innovator and one is the doer right so you need need three these three people you need a balance of team how our team is divided is um so i'm the founder i started off on this on my own um then i had the first teammate who joined us was uh steph uh, she is the creative director. She was also the head of Ted Baker and Kurt Kiger previously. Uh, she came in. She came came in. Gave me a different perspective. She has over twenty five years of experience in her in her own career. So she, with her, I think we boosted in terms of our product development strategy. Then the second person who came in was through Michael, uh, through Steph. We hired Michaela for designing the products as well because I'm not a designer. I'm more on the technology side of it. Uh, so that was the product that she's doing. Then third person came in was when I realized, oh, this business needs financial support and we need to go after the investor. We need to change our strategy from going to customers because there's only so much I can put from my own pocket in this mm-hmm. business. Then we had a CFO. We had a CFO, uh, Dennis. He has over 25 years again uh, within corporate finance. Uh, he used to be head of natural oil and natural resources companies uh so his knowledge was to move drills around and we're like oh we can use this in circular fashion as well your knowledge so that's how we build our financial strategy oil and gas to fashion yeah (laughs) good big transition Transition, yeah. yeah then uh our latest one has been grant he is our marketing director and uh he was the head of dead uh sorry jamie oliver kenwood and uh many other kitchenware brands um how i went about taking this team building was I am young so I would balance myself out with someone with people who are more experienced than me if they like the business yeah come join us right now we are not paid nobody's paid it's all sweat equity and um, and I was looking for gaps to fill at a time when they were needed first I first when I was talking to customers I realized I need to improve the product, so I need a product team itself for the clothing itself. Second was, okay, cool. Now I need cash, I need capital. 
I went about going hiring a CFO. Then once we got the investment commitments, I was like, oh, cool. Now I need to build up the pipeline for marketing. And so I hired a marketing person. And then there'll be another person to execute these as well. Because obviously we can't afford these people even after the, <laughs> even after the capital raise until our seed round. So we've planned that out. It appears like mm-hmm. everybody you've brought into the team is you know very established careers and mm-hmm. you know, very good at what they mm-hmm. do. How did you meet these people? I assume it was through networking. Mm-hmm. And, and if it was mm-hmm. networking, what networking avenues mm-hmm. do you recommend to people? What were best for you? Yeah. So Stephanie and I met uh, organically. So I had a pop-up shop. She moved, walked in. She liked the stuff. And we, we got chatting. I was, I was obviously there to get customer feedback. So I was just right next to the rack all the time. I was the sales girl. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, and then she told me what she did, and I was like, oh, cool. And we were kind of like vibing us, chatting. She was like, oh, yeah, this and that. So that's how I met Steph. Uh, that was pure luck. Uh, then Dennis, I I put a request out on a startup community, which was for hiring non-exec directors and advisors. So I put it out, and quite a few people applied. And uh, Dennis was... Dennis and I got along very well. So that's how I went about with him. For people interested, what was that website called? Uh, Connected. Connected, it's a fundraising platform connected with without an E. (laughs) And um, so that's a really good platform in terms of hiring people. Um, I obviously get loads of recommendations for people if I go out, because obviously when you have been through so many accelerators, you have been through so many competitions, you go to networking events, you meet people and they will recommend you to someone and investors also try to help you hire people as well. So if I go to investors who have not invested, not committed, but still they're interested in helping us grow because they like the mission or the vision or they just want to see how this business is developing. So they also connect you with people. So one of the investors recommended me this platform, which was for advisors, mostly advisors or people who are looking for direct direction roles, director roles or something. So that's how I met uh, Grant. So I, I put the request out, met a lot of people, and I've met so many marketing people. Like Marketing people are like the easiest ones you get, <laughs> yeah. but it's very difficult to find the right one with mm-hmm. you, who you get along with, who completes a gap that you have in the business, who are fit for the culture, who really align with your vision. And yeah, they see themselves growing in the company as well. Those life stages also matter. So obviously all these, all three of these are much older and their life stages, they are much more progressed. So the business gets that experience from them. Plus we get the calmness of their strategy as well. Yeah, wow. That's, mm. It's yeah. almost like an incremental approach you're taking. Yeah. So it's kind of building one block at a time, right? Yeah. And so I guess in future, what, what blocks are left for you to then be successful, do you think, as a Tatland? A lot. I feel there's like a really nice picture. So you have to imagine you are on a on a rail railway cabin thing. Yeah. So you're like on a on a track. Yeah. You are on that pushy th- push thing that goes on the track. Oh, okay. And you're building putting the track out and you're pushing it another uh, centimeter. Okay. Then you're putting another track out and then you're pushing going forward with it. That's how startups work. Mm-hmm. So you have to incrementally build it. I've seen quite a few people who build it very instantly they're like four dorm room guys and they're like oh we're gonna build the business together I've done that before as well mm-hmm. right with my besties and everything 
and they're like, oh, we're going to do this together. And then you realize, oh, one has got a girlfriend, another one's parents want them back home. Someone has got this and these teams fall apart as well. You kind of have to find what your mission or the vision is of your company, what you really want to do. Two co-founders would be happy to do it, like three as well. But be prepared that teams do fall apart. And I've seen that happen quite a lot. I've seen divorces. I've seen <laughs> founder divorces. <laughs> Everything happens. So be prepared. This is life. Yeah, yeah and I'm sort of interested by your yeah. split equity approach as opposed to you yeah. know, maybe like trying to build a bit more by yourself. I, mm-hmm. I, I know you said the importance of team and, and mm-hmm. I guess that's why if you didn't have the funding, you thought, mm-hmm. okay, team comes first before like mm-hmm. actually owning the whole company myself, yourself. Mm-hmm. So what would you like recommend to people you know Nella and I are currently mm-hmm. starting off with, with our own startup trying to see where we can get mm-hmm. that at a young age but maybe you're still mm-hmm. completing your studies or mm-hmm. you know you've just graduated there's a lack mm-hmm. of funding how do you go about like meeting those those team members how do you go about like approaching you know building the right team so there'll never be the right team I think it all you realize one thing at a time like this is these are the things that you want it's like a shopping list that you start developing in people like oh i want them at this stage or i want them to have this much financial risk appetite i want to i want them to have this or that in experience plus characteristics it becomes like a shopping list for people that you're looking for um if you are starting from scratch, completely scratch, obviously there'll be an equity equal equity mm-hmm. split. If you're three, four, two, three, four, five, whatever, there'll be you'll have bigger chunks of share going away within the team. Like obviously whatever is right for you guys, who how much who is putting in money or who's putting in more time, who's bringing in previous contacts or who's doing innovation. You, you'll have to like sit down and write down all the responsibilities of the people that you're bringing in. And then you decide your equity split after that. When I went about hiring the team, we were much more advanced. We were much more developed as a company. And I really knew what I wanted from these people. I went about finding a CTO as well with a higher equity split thing as well mm-hmm. but realize that I don't need a CTO right now I might need it later and the later you find a teammate the lower the equity you'll have to give away True. so I guess everyone is on their own journey they'll not be like a right or wrong equity split there are people who have who I've heard of, who are founders, they started with 50-50 business. Initially, they were doing 50-50 work responsibilities. And then one day, one fine day, the co-founder decided, I'm out. (laughs) And then investors come in, but they were like, oh, so you don't take the business or anything. And then the investors come in and they're like, oh, there's a 50% owner of your business who's doing nothing. And initially, the split was divided emotionally. Like, oh, these are best friends who divided emotionally, emotional uh, equity based on their emotions. And now it's like, oh, now we're talking about money. So that goes through a very challenging process. So be very, be very mindful of how you divide your business, who you divide your business with. There are great books you can read. Um, Founder's Dilemma. Mm-hmm. Forgot the name of the author. Uh, Founder's Dilemma, which is a really good book that you guys should read there's a podcast as well the startup podcast 
which is also very good. They talk about equity split in a very nice level. But the founder's dilemma goes through at each stages and how to divide your equity on based on that stage as well. well. A quick ad break to talk about London tap water. Nellif, did you know one in five bladder cancer cases are caused by the tap water that we drink? I didn't, know, but this is why we're proud to have Water2 as sponsors of the podcast. Water2 is a new water company serving the water in aluminium cans and via home filters called pods, which plug in under your tap to bring you bottled water on tap. Amazing, right? Backed by years of research at University College London, the tech behind the water is over a thousand times more powerful than a common Brita filter. It's a totally groundbreaking company. We recently had the founder, Charles, on the podcast, and we're both regular drinkers of water too. It's something we really live by. It's better for you, safer for you, and better for the environment. So, to get your own pods, head over to water2.com. Health starts with hydration, and you deserve more than just tap water. In your company, mm-hmm. you've achieved great success, and, and one, of the, one of those is having uh, successful pop-ups in Bond Street, Oxford Circus, Covent mm-hmm. Garden, and King's Cross. How did you find that experience? Did you find it a useful activity? And, mm-hmm. you know, for someone who's maybe wants to build a fashion brand, mm-hmm. why would, would you recommend people to do it? Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend anyone who is started f- starting from nothing. They have a product, any product. It could be any consumer product. And the best thing you as a founder can do is to talk to actually customer if they want to buy it, right? And if you do it online... I tried to do it online first with Instagram ads and Google ads. I, it was lacking the customer touch point in this early phase. Like, who who are they? And plus, I didn't have that much budget. You really need a lot of budget to do Instagram ads properly, and you have to test them out. So it's like, I really want to talk to women. Like, I want to get their opinion of what they think about the brand, what they think about the clothing. I only had samples in my hand. I didn't even have enough pieces to sell. I was like, ah, oh, this is cheap. I'm going to go for it. It gets me, gives me an opportunity to talk to the customer. It tells me what actually the thinking mind of these people is. Like, how do they purchase? You can read articles from Mintel. You can read research of the most amazing research-minded, consumer-centric marketing people. But the best knowledge is actually talking to people. Like, are they getting their credit cards out? Are they giving you cash for your work? So yeah, we started getting cash for the samples. I was like, I was not willing to sell the samples. I was like, yeah, if it fits you, take it. So, <laughs> like, yeah, thank you so much. And I will make the purchase. And then I couldn't serve a lot of customers because we had only size 8 and size 10 pieces. But people were like, oh, I'll sign up to your waiting list. Please let me know when you have your next collection and I'll get my friends to do it as well. So that sort of organic conversation with the customer was very good. Also, I learned a lot from the customers who were not buying. Like, what do you think? Like, oh, looks like she was carrying a very expensive bag. She already had the money. The sustainability thing was already there in the in the product. They were good-looking product. And then I realized the customer says, I really want some more modest clothing because this is just for much younger. I love your brand and vision. Here's my waiting list. When you do modest clothing, I'll come back. So those are the things as well. So I now know that I need to do more modest clothing as well. I need these sizes that I need to prepare. I know this is what the customer is actually willing to pay. What I tested in different price ranges as well. Like in Bond Street, I was like, oh, more expensive. And then when I was doing it in King's Cross and Covent Garden, and I tried different pricing and saw a different, different perspective of the customer. So I would definitely recommend anyone who has a product-based business, Get into farmer's market, get into those, if you have been to Brixton market, there's very nice, uh, in Brick Lane as well, there are these very cheap shops that you can get for like 40 pounds a day. 
get into them and talk to people. No, it's great advice. And I guess being on the front line, it's quite a unique experience, yeah. right? Um, You'll understand staffing as well. How do you staff yourself? How do you present your company as well in front of these people? And what attracts you? What attracts customers to you? And what attracts customers to your next door shop? That's also very... Like, you're, you're just seeing and learning so much so instantly. Like, so much of your appearance matters. So much of your product range matters. So much of your conversation style matters with the customers as well. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll do it. And with your entrepreneurship journey, I think we've discussed a lot of your mm-hmm. highs and also just mm-hmm. generally how you should go about becoming an entrepreneur. But mm-hmm. if you don't mind, I'd like to ask maybe a bit about the lows you've experienced and, and how you've sort of grown from mm-hmm. them. The lows have been definitely not being able to do it much more quickly. Like I have a different vision. The expectation for this brand has had been very different from what I started off as well. Uh, the fundraising took forever <laughs> because obviously everything happened. You have political condition that went mad. You had COVID lockdown that went mad. I started the business in COVID lockdown, actually. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I started the product development before the lockdown actually happened. And when the lockdown happened and I had nice fancy dresses and I was like, people are going to wear it, the people going to wear it. And I've put down so much money in developing this. And I was like, cool, if I can't sell it, what, what else can I get out of these samples, right? Mm-hmm. Started talking to people. So that was obviously a very low point, like very depressed depre- depression point that, oh my God, like I have invested all of my saving mm-hmm. in this thing. And now nobody's going out nobody's wearing it Mm. i am falling apart with the people i actually started working with then another low obviously these all social political economic crisis have been very big factor in the last two years i think um the financial downturn then you have cost of living crisis where people don't want to actually spend clothes people are if you go to any bar in london right now you see the difference that it's not as filled as it used to be before. Mm. Now people are very much more cautious about going out. People are not spending money. So you have a fashion consumer business. So mm. how do you actually navigate these situations? As I said, a skill of a founder is very different from skills of a professional. So you, you're dealing with your team, people coming and leaving. You're dealing with... Uh, opportunities you applied for and it did not come off and as a as an early early founder these are new things for you and it leaves a mark on your heart that I did so well and still I faced rejection on this point so yeah those have been lows it's Mm -hmm. a lot it's a lot of things that have happened in the last two years and trust me these things will happen again as well there'll be problems down the line like no there has never been a very peaceful time Mm -hmm. so you have to navigate all those problems as well question we like to ask all our guests is what do you define as success for yourself and maybe how has that changed over time in your life I mean obviously when I was young the success were like oh I'm gonna have the sports car and I'm gonna buy a nice house or something like that then then life and the view changed about the world and kind of start absorbing other things that there are more things which are more important um then this entire thing of, oh, I want to be successful in my career, in my job, get the best, highest placement, got it. Like I was the most highest paid student from my university. I got the job in the biggest company for manufacturing trousers for the role that I was doing. I was like, oh, cool. 
yeah we discuss in india we discuss everyone's salary package who <laughs> got how much and it's like a very open thing we have a very transparent communication system with each other so it's like yeah i was i was one of those who was paid the highest being a woman like got so that was a success for me back then i was like yeah money and those things mattered then moved into the, into the job got promoted very quickly as well because it was all women uh labor and they were they were like they aligned to me a lot more than other male people so like mm. yeah we need this women as well so like yeah good so that success was going on start the startup and with the first thing which we I was doing with my bestie is like we were we were getting opportunities like getting into the biggest indian fashion week with just the samples so that was a success right those those are the milestones that you get with with satatland we are like within the first time as a first time first time founder yeah still i'll consider myself first time mm. founder um we got into competitions we've got into multiple accelerators we as a first time founder we've got investment committed so many things that we've achieved as well but i think what the success to me looks like is the impact that i want to deliver with the clothing the the waste that i want to reduce just in the clothing the regenerative side of it the the network the ecosystem the value of the ecosystem that we develop everyone is being paid from the from the workers to the customers as well like for the incentives so that capital impact everything that i count as a success now i mean i'm 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 still going to eat two meals a day my breakfast smoothie that's it. <laughs> that, that's fine i will survive but everything else has to stay better I want to thank you so much for coming mm. on today, Chris. For it's been amazing, mm. and you've littered advice throughout the podcast, and and I've really taken up a lot of it. You know, someone who wants to start a business myself, yeah, mm. it's been really engaging. And I kind of want you to leave the podcast with one piece of advice, maybe mm-hmm. that you were told or something you've like mm-hmm. developed yourself. Leave with us students, us graduates. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you say to someone wanting to resemble your career path or just achieve success? I mean. Yeah, as you asked me, that you know, what does success mean to you? Have a really clear definition of what does success mean to you. I had when I started Sadatland, I had like a real mission or purpose written. I want to see a positive change with this. Like whatever I see, I want to do it. I've seen transformation throughout my life, coming from small city to going to a big city, coming from nothing to see everything. I've seen all of that, so I was like, "Oh, now I want to see the same transformation with fashion as well for the planet." So, have a real definition of success with what you start. Don't be afraid of failing. Oh my God, it, that's the best thing that can happen to you. Making mistakes, the best thing that can happen to you. You learn so much so quickly. So, start looking at mistakes, failures in a very positive manner, because obviously, as a as you are in university or in school you're like always succeeding you're always progressing you're always moving from one year to the second year or third year getting your degree etc so you're kind of used to this pattern of achieving things but in entrepreneurship it's not there's no pattern it's just a full on web of maze of going from one point to another and going forward coming back then going forward again then coming back again it's a iteration loop that you'll have so be very open minded to success failure things will go wrong things will not go as you planned them to be and that's fine that's the part of the journey well that's a great uh, ending to go there yeah. once again thank you very much for your time oh, thank um, you so much for having me no worries um and yeah we'll see everyone in the next episode